Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of Game Talk Radio. How's everyone doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm Greg, you know that, you've been listening. If it's your first time here, welcome. I'm Greg. <laughs> I just realized I say that every week, I'm like, you know, hey, it's Greg, and then I just assume that everyone who's listening has been listening forever, and they're like, yeah, dude, we know who you are. Just move on, just move on, get it over with, man. Uh, it was... A crazy weekend, so obviously, if you don't know, um, I own my own video game store, so it was Black Friday, and and even for a small-owned business, we still have crazy Black Friday and Small Business Saturday sales. Um, it was it was nuts. I mean, man, I mean, Friday was just, I, I, it's it's almost like it's funny because last year I couldn't believe what we did. And I don't know how this year we somehow beat that. You know, it was just mind-numbing, you know, how, how the possibilities are and, and how much you can cram into a little store like that. And so we had an amazing day, and our customers are fantastic, you know, and they put up with long lines. You know, we have two registers, but they put up with long lines when, you know, there's 10 people in line waiting to check out, and we're getting discs out, and we're cleaning up cartridges at the last second that aren't already cleaned up, which they're supposed to be before they go out, but that's a whole other story. I digress. <laughs> so there's a... We, uh, you know, we, 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 everyone's really patient as we go through. Everyone's super cool. You make a mistake here or there. Everyone's always super nice. We just have the, the best customers, you know, and, and, uh, not saying everyone's the best, but we have the best customers and it, it's just awesome. And, and so not only though, do they come out on the madness that is Black Friday, which has evolved quite a bit. You know, I don't, if any of you aren't Black Friday shoppers, you can get almost everything online. I was ordering the stuff I wanted as early as Sunday and Monday online. I didn't go to any stores. I never go to any stores. You don't have to. As long as you're okay with online ordering, you're just fine. And so, you know, I did all my online ordering. So Friday has become kind of a, a shell of what it once was. You still get the crazy crowds at 5 p.m. Thursday because that's when crazy stores are opening or 2 p.m. Thursday or midnight Friday morning. So all those are still crazy if they have specific doorbusters. But now it's just kind of merged into one big shopping weekend, which is funny because Monday was always Cyber Monday. That was like the online retailer's way of battling the stores. Now it's everyone's doing like Target had a Cyber Monday sale that started doorbusters at 8 a.m. Sunday. I was like, what the hell is this? It's not Black Friday. It's not Small Business Saturday. It's I don't know, sloppy Sunday and then <laughs> Cyber Monday. <laughs> uh, so it was a great weekend, though. It was super busy, but the time flies. You can't beat that. Saturday is Small Business Saturday. While not as busy as Friday, it's the second day of a two-day sale. It's always a little less busy, but it was awesome still. Like People coming out, and even later in the day, the, 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 there was a little bit of rain and starting to get a little icy and slick. People still coming out. Sunday, um, we actually continued the deals. Uh, Dave and Dom were like, hey, since we, you know, didn't do as much as we wanted to do, even though we beat last year on Saturday, like we want to do more because the weather kind of shut us down. Do you want to continue the sales on Sunday? And I was like, let's do it. And uh, so they, uh, you know, we continued the deals on Sunday. They they rocked it on Sunday, had another great day, even though the weather was terrible. And it was just awesome. Just overall, just an awesome weekend. Put some money in the bank, you know, prepping this this last month here uh, is incredible. So with that being said, it's it's that time of year where if you are out and about shopping, please remember that these people are people. <laughs> the retail workers do have families. They're people. Try to take it easy on them. If they make a mistake, you know, be a little understanding. If they're rude about the mistake they make, then just go off on them. 
<laughs> because there's no excuse for us, on the other hand, to be rude to you when we've made a mistake. So give them the benefit of the doubt and then shred them <laughs> if they don't. Uh, with that being said, though, our stories today we are talking about, we have, we're going to talk about the Atari VCS. It is apparently entering the final, final stages of pre-production, still scheduled to come out March 2020. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about a streamer who broke the world record and streamed for 572 hours. Uh, I'll go over kind of the requirements of that, but basically it was within a month. And how you do that is you, you, you take certain breaks, they basically streaming, uh, 19 hours a day, uh, which which was accomplished. We're going to talk about that. Then we're going to talk about, uh, and I saw this commercial, and thankfully I had finished the game. I finished the game Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and they uh, on Thanksgiving during the football games, they had a commercial for it. And you're like, okay. And then at the end of the commercial, they spoiled a really sweet cameo in the game. <laughs> so uh, I'll talk a little bit about that, but without spoilers. Uh, we're going to follow up, and, and this one thing to notice, there's a lot of stories going on today, but not a lot of long ones. There's not a whole lot going on here. The VCS one's the longest one, and the rest of these are kind of micro stories. Um, but we have a follow-up. If you remember, gosh, this is almost two years ago probably now. I think it was two years ago in February or something. But I did a story about Quantic, and they're the company that made Heavy Rain and more recently Beyond uh, Detroit Become Human. And the studio had gotten in trouble for apparently circulating um, weird photoshopped images of like like racist stuff, sexist stuff. It was weird, right? And so we talked about that. And then after that, I was one of the people who I believe is the person who won the lawsuit here. We're going to talk about it was reached out to me. And I actually had about a two hour conversation with this person recording what what there's what what was going on in the studio. And, and also not even just talking about they weren't even just talking about the sexual harassment and all that stuff. They brought up things that hadn't been mentioned in the news. Like um, in Beyond Two Souls, they had the main actress was Ellen Page. Well, Ellen Page, apparently they had rendered a nude version of her and they would just put her in the game like during a horseback riding scene or during something else, just have her naked body model instead of the clothed one that was supposed to be there. Like as a joke, it was like an internal studio joke. He talked about that. He talked about things where like they claimed on their taxes that they didn't renovate a bathroom or that they renovated a bathroom that they didn't renovate. And she, like he was, he was talking like this company's going down and I'm like, I'm just a YouTuber, dude. I, I, I'm just a podcaster. I don't actually report the news. You know, I just kind of commentate on it. And so I reached out to a few actual news outlets to try to pass this person's info along. And I got, brushed off no one cared i don't know it's really funny when i reached out to the people i really thought would at least want to talk to the person and i didn't ask for anything you know all i said was hey like at the end of your articles be like hey thanks for the tip drop rate greg or game trade greg you know like that's all you do i, I wasn't expecting to be like credited in a byline or anything it was just be like hey you know like 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 say you know this story was broke by or whatever it wasn't even broke by me i don't even want that i just want some and so anyway i didn't even say that i didn't get that far because the person i, I explained everything they said that's interesting and then i said like i could pass on the person's info i think you should talk to him i can send you clips of the recording of this person like where it's real like it's real and they just never responded after that, just ghosted after that. I'm like, okay. So I guess it's certainly possible that people just thought I was a troll or something, but I don't know. I guess maybe I should have emailed them and not DM'd them on Twitter. It seems to be like trolls typically don't use emails. So we're going to talk about the follow-up to that story, though, because uh, they've won the lawsuit. And then lastly, we have uh, another lawsuit 
uh, Riot Games, which we also talked about, they had a discrimination suit brought against them, a gender discrimination suit uh, that they settled. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. So first, we're going to talk about the Atari VCS. And of course, I have my pickup pile of the week. I have my game of the week. We are ready to go. We're ready to rock. All right, buckle in. Here we go, folks. So first up on the podcast today, we're talking about the Atari VCS. So apparently, it is coming, which I I always knew I think that it would come out. I just... And I might have to watch my old videos to know for sure. Maybe I said it would never come out. I hope it does. Obviously, a lot of people backed it. There's a lot of money out there. People put down their hard-earned money. I want them to get the product that they paid for. So we're going to talk a little about this because uh, it was recently reported that the crowdfunding console is nearing completion. It is deep into the final stages of pre-production. Now, this headline on Destructor, I have to give a little, little bit of a hard time. Troubled Atari VCS project is in deep final. So, like, basically, it's good news. It's the VCS is, you know, in the deep stages of pre-production. But the way Destruction made it sound was the troubled Atari VCS project is deep. Like, you're starting to think, oh, it's in deep trouble. It's in deep. Shh. It's in deep. Oh, it's deep in the final stages of pre-production and it's coming out. <laughs> so it's just a weird headline in general. Um, but this article was written based off of an interview that COO Michael Arts did for medium.com. And I, I've talked about Michael Arts before. There was a story I did a few months ago, maybe even a year ago now where, actually I think it was last year, where they were basically showing off the hardware initially. It was just like, it wasn't even a functional piece. They were showing running software on it that wasn't actually available on it. And there was a lot of questions up in the air and I think a lot of legitimate issues that people might have had and so anyway uh this was and I'm going to be honest I read through this already the medium.com interviewer this is the definition of lobbying softballs like just like this this is a puff piece if I've ever seen one and so we have to realize that when we go through it so and I know that then that, that's fine he probably only agreed to one if it was going to be a puff piece so anyway uh let's get into it here so Atari, uh, this is the question. This is, uh, I don't know. I don't know who's asking the questions. <laughs> doesn't say it. I thought what it said in the top. Okay. <clears throat> question. Atari originally planned to launch the VCS in late spring, early summer of 2019. In March of this year, you announced that would delay things and not ship the system until March of 2020. What was behind the schedule change? Michael Arch replies, in March 2019, we decided to make some modifications to our hardware in order to improve the system's performance and lifespan by upgrading the microprocessor to AMD Ryzen, the latest generation of AMD chips. This important change was not made lightly and was based on feedback from the Atari VCS backer community. Internal user research, device testing, and planned in close collaboration with our development partners. The biggest change came as a result of work with our partners at AMD when we off when we were offered the opportunity to incorporate an all-new microprocessor built on a more powerful and more efficient architecture. The team is well aware that the delay impacted our backers, but feels strongly that we made the right decision to improve the product's performance. Yeah, and, and this was known, I mean, that they were switching processors, and that's fine. I mean, by the time they originally designed this thing. They had picked hardware that was going to be really outdated by the time it came out. Now, this might not have been the only reason for the delay. It might have been delayed anyway, and they said, hey, if we're going to delay it, we might as well put the better chip in, and then we can use that as an excuse for the delay. Like, I believe stuff like that's possible, but for all intents and purposes, I mean, it's it's fine. You know, it's 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 a reason to delay something. You're, they basically upgraded the hardware. 
you know, and, and if you've watched my videos before, look, if you hate this thing and you watch this video, like, oh, another, you know, VCS bootlicker, like, just understand that's not me. In fact, I've quite trashed this thing. So we're going through it and then we're going to talk about it. That's how my videos work if it's your first time here. So welcome and let's get on with it. So the questions continue. Where do you stand today with hardware manufacturing and software development? Uh, regarding hardware, the VCS design and engineering development teams have been working closely with our manufacturing partners and suppliers over the past several months. I'm excited to be able to share some initial photos of the first Atari VCS pre-production units, freshly off the assembly line and on their way to the extensive testing process. We are deep into the final stages of pre-production and heading towards mass production, which is the focus of our attention today. And they show a picture of six Atari VCS consoles looking very shiny. These are the red back black tops I and mean, they're very shiny it's very nice looking. i'm not a fan of glossy consoles personally but it is shiny and nice looking um, all of the vcs hardware including the controllers are currently being tested for functionality and reliability receiving final tweaks as needed we are also in the final stages of software development and ramping up our efforts to onboard additional game and app developers in terms of software our atari vcs gui <clears throat> And storefront is being developed in Unity and is almost complete. The Atari VCS is fully compatible with the Unity game engine, which powers almost 50% of the world's games. And we are working closely with Unity to ensure that their large and talented developer community has the resources and the support it needs to bring the best games and apps to the Atari VCS platform. We have line studios, we have several studios lined up for the VCS launch window, and we'll have more to say about them and their titles when we are closer to retail launch. So yeah, I mean that's software wise they're using unity for the GUI that's interesting um but it's also makes sense that if it's obviously really compatible with one of the you know engines that most that powers a lot of the games then yes that's a good idea so so far so good all the things he's saying you know obviously again puff piece but here we go question do you anticipate any further changes to the scheduled launch date of march 2020 and what about the indiegogo backers to which he replies, right now, the product is progressing accordingly to the updated schedule of March 2020. Our team is committed to bringing a successful product to market that we can be proud of and that our customers will treasure for many years to come. Atari will always prioritize delivering a high quality product over a self-imposed deadline. That was true at the project start. It was true in March of 2019, and it is true today. Okay, so there he's just saying that we're going to make a better product before we release it a junkie product. Well, that's smart from a business standpoint, of course. Uh, and that's fine. And, and delays happen, especially on Indiegogo and Kickstarter projects. Like, I don't think I've backed a game that came out in its original scheduled release. Like it never happens. The game blows up. It becomes popular. They push out stretch goals and then they're like, Oh, to make all these stretch goals. Now we have to put another year of development time in. You're like, well, what the hell? Why just give me the game I want. And then, <laughs> then kick out the, kick out the stupid bonuses. Um, okay, question. Can you share your communication plans for the next few months? To which he replies, that's a good and important question. We always want our backers, fans, and customers to know how much they matter to us, and we want them to remain informed. We understand that all of our stakeholders would like to know where things stand every day and want immediate answers to their individual posts and messages. I respectfully ask them to please understand that as a public company, we must follow specific protocols that are in place. In addition, because we must always consider the needs and wishes of our various partners, we do not always have full control over the pace or timing of our communications. We aim to make periodic updates to our community with complete transparency. If there was one thing I'd want people to always know, it's that no news is good news where the Atari VCS is concerned. Uh, no, actually. Um, so first of all, that's something I say 
when customers ask me how my day, how, how I've been, I'm like, oh, it's good. Nothing changes. No news is good news. You know, that's just everything's fine. That's not really how it works in tech, especially when you have a bunch of people that 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 funded a project that are waiting to hear when they're going to get the project on a project that's been delayed multiple times. No news is good news is not applicable in this situation. So sorry, Mr. Arts, that is not applicable. Question. Let's return to the redesign of the Atari VCS in March 2019. Why was it so important? Michael Arts, the first and foremost, the, excuse me, the first and most impactful improvement was the switch to the new AMD Ryzen chip. In order to support 4K 60 frames per second HDR content. The all-new Ryzen's APU is also faster, cooler, and more efficient, allowing the VCS to benefit from a simpler and more effective power architecture and thermal solution. Okay, makes sense. The new processor includes built-in Ethernet, native 4K video with modern HDCP, and a secure frame buffer that fully supports DRM video. This upgrade will translate to better overall performance in a cooler and quieter machine. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, you upgraded the hardware. It's fine. It's smart. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you shouldn't be congratulated for that, though. We also announced some great changes to the industrial design of the Atari VCS, including a subtle rise to the base of the chassis that both looks better and allowed us to add front-facing USB 3.0 ports, which makes them more accessible and therefore more useful to our users. Modifications were made to both the modern controller and classic joystick as well. These improvements came from rounds of internal testing that helped us identify more specific requirements for the products, allowing us to also incorporate feedback from backers who are most passionate about the project. Um, and so this is probably the uh, this is probably the only not softball question, even though it's the most softball you could not softball a question, I guess. So the question asked is: There has been some vigorous debate in social media about the Atari VCS. What do you make of it? To which Michael Arts replies, the Atari brand generates a lot of passion. It's only natural that we will attract interest and speculation, especially in the quiet periods heading into a major product launch like this one. Building a complex product like the Atari VCS from scratch takes time and care. And with any gaming and video platform, content in particular involves extensive discussions in cooperation with third-party partners. As tempting as it might be, we can't comment publicly on confidential partnerships and licensing discussions while they're in progress. As you can imagine, we are talking about some large brands that have rigorous confidentiality guidelines. We are glad to be reaching a stage where we can slowly start revealing more details and answer open and new questions from our community. So, okay, a couple of things about that. One, I hate that. I hate that when when corporate speak for when someone is upset about something or when we have a problem with something and we have a problem with the brand, it's that, well, our, our customers are very passionate. Like, well, I guess so, but they're not passionate about Atari. They're passionate about their money. And so they're passionate about the money that they spent that you haven't provided a product for yet after so many years. So, <laughs> yes, all customers are passionate about their money and they want what they paid for. I mean, that makes sense. And yes, building a complex product does take time. And I do agree that there are fan bases that don't give enough time and don't give enough leeway to certain companies. Is this company one of them, though? Atari now is not the Atari from back when. I say this all the time. It's just someone bought the name, rebranded some other company theirs, bought the name, got a bunch of investors, and then they relaunched the company. So it's not like if you loved the 2600 with all your heart 
and you're passionate about Atari, and then they're releasing this, that you're like, oh, finally, my guys are back. Everyone's back. They're not back. It's, the, I mean, the name's back, do you, but do you really care about the name? Does, does the brand really matter that much, or does the product matter? And so when you have an, a situation like this, I know that you can't reveal confidentiality agreements. That doesn't mean that you can't talk about production and pre-production, and you can't share more pictures of it actually being finished. The problem is they had nothing to show. And I think they were, and I don't think they have a very good communications department. I'm just going to throw that out there. I don't, I don't think they have a very good communications department because there are ways to, I mean, I've seen failed Kickstarters that strung people along better than the VCS did. <laughs> like, here's a piece of art every month. Like, look, we're working on it, y'all. Uh, but, you know, fine. <laughs> That's fine. So we have a product that needs to be shown because Atari as a company besides its past successes and massive failures really hasn't earned any sort of trust from anyone, not this new company anyway. So when you don't have trust, you have to build trust. And how do you build trust? Well, you communicate and by communicating, you let us know what's going on. And I say that I'm actually not a backer, but uh, you know, you communicate to your backers, you communicate to the community, you communicate to, uh, to the, um, to the media so they can get your story out and you just don't hide from it. And of course, I mean, maybe it's also because the last time they came out and talked to, I forget the website, um, daily mail, maybe it was or something. And, and, uh, and they, they got trashed because they were trying to make up excuses and didn't know certain questions specifically about the hardware. And that's not good, you know? And that was, I think a year ago, but even still, even if it was before they were going to do this change, there were certain fundamental answers that this person who answered these questions, Michael Arts, did not know. And so, of course, people have a right to be passionate about their cash. <laughs> They're passionate about their cash. They're cashionate. Um, okay. So, will the Atari VCS have original games, native apps, or a browser experience? What the hell's a browser? Like, I don't know. These questions are terrible. These are, these are awful questions. Sorry, medium.com, but your questions are, are terrible. Um, Mike Arts will have all three. The Atari VCS will be a gateway to a mix of original games and native apps. The primary way to access the primary way to access games and services will be through the proprietary Atari VCS interface and app store. If a service is not available as an app on our platform at launch, it can still be accessed through the internet browser. Content will include classic new and indie games from both Atari and third-party developers, along with the entertainment apps for streaming video content, including TV shows and movies. So it's going to have Netflix on it. Okay, my Roku can do that. Um, it's So basically, they have their own store, which I don't think is a good move. I think it would have been better. Well, I guess maybe they're only thinking they can make money off the software, but is it going to be compatible with Steam or is it going to be a micro PC? These are all the questions that we don't have answered yet. And when it's going into pre-production and into final production, mass production, this sh we should know all this already. Like st still being mysterious about the software essentially three months before launch is not great. I'm going to be honest. That's not, that's not a great look still. So I'm still not 100% sold on this thing because there's so many questions still. And I don't care about the excuse of we can't talk about exclusive partnership deals. You can talk about what you do have. And so if you can't talk about anything, that means you don't have any deals made, according to your logic, of course, not mine. So we have several studios lined up for the VCS launch window, and we'll have more to say about them and their titles when we're closer to retail launch. You're three months away. <laughs> You're three months away. Well, this says from retail launch. I don't know. Maybe retail launch is after. But you're, you're three months away from March 2020. So how can you say that we don't have the info now, but we'll have it closer to launch? Like we're, we're, we're in the launch window practically. Man, it's just it's just not good. Um, 
Our compatibility with Unity obviously opens things up as well. In addition, the exclusive Atari VCS edition of the AntStream Arcade app will give Atari VCS users immediate access to a library of more than a thousand licensed retro games. Cool. Nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. One recent report claimed that there will be no native apps at launch. This is the question, excuse me. One recent report claimed that there will be no native apps at launch and that all services such as Netflix will be accessible through a Chrome-style browser. To which Michael Arch replies, as I already mentioned, the primary way to access games and services will be through the proprietary Atari VCS interface and app store. For example, if a service such as Netflix is not available as an app on our platform, it could still be accessed through the web browser and the sandbox mode. Uh, and the sandbox mode really allows unlimited possibility to reach anything on the web. Yeah, okay, it's a, it's a web browser. Okay, so I can watch Netflix through a web browser on a on a console. Okay, <laughs> it's fine. Uh, we don't expect pre-launch versions shipping to our Indiegogo backers to have a full complement of native third-party apps. There will be games to play and things to do, but the first big wave of apps isn't likely to come before Q1 of next year as we build towards our full retail launch and see a ramp-up of the installed base. Much of this is obviously dependent on the app development timelines and contributions of any developers looking to make their apps available on the Atari VCS. Atari's goal is to have the content providers that our community values the most accessible via apps and the team expects the volume of content available will grow over time as the vcs units sell into the market and we expand our gaming and entertainment partnerships articles that suggest otherwise are inaccurate he he fires back uh so he's basically saying that that yeah it's going to be like any other app based thing like a fire stick or anything else it's going to have apps you download through the roku fire stick the chrome what do they call it the Chrome, it's not a Chromebook. What is it? Is it just the Chrome? I don't know. Whatever, whatever the uh, TV thing is, and um, so all those little things. It's basically going to be like that. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, if you have a web browser and you can watch them anyway, it's fine. But to have an app, that makes sense. Whatever. I'm not. I'm not going to criticize them for that. Basically, uh, I do like articles that suggest otherwise are inaccurate. Like, okay. <laughs> um, and then I don't know. There's just like I said, more. It's just it's a puff piece. So he's like, oh, what can you tell us about the custom UI? Um, has the advent of streaming services and subscriptions like Stadia and Apple Arcade affected your approach? Um, to which he replies, actually, it has validated our approach. The Atari VCS was designed with digital delivery as part of the plan. Um, and then, you know, will the OS and store be part of the Atari VCS when it ships to Indiegogo backers? And they're saying, yes, the store will be available. They're not saying what's on the store yet because I mean, we've got a whole three months to go. So with three months to go, oh boy, uh, the release of the Atari VCS to our Indiegogo backers is an opportunity to get early feedback from a heavily engaged and invested community of passionate users before our official launch. Oh, so the Indiegogo backers are beta testers. Excellent. Excellent. Beta testing and reviewing your hardware and fixing it so that when it goes mass market to the real customers, then you will have all the bugs worked out. Excellent. Excellent. This this is the sort of thing like they treat us like they're treating their Indiegogo backers like they're special that they get to test this thing early. They should be paying us to beta test these things and do their product testing. But as a society, we've moved to this. We want to be first. We got to be fastest. And we're willing to pay to be the first to play something, even if it's not the best version of that. And I'm guilty of it too. So I'm not ripping on anybody who's done that. I'm guilty of it too. And unfortunately, it's hard to break that habit. Although I haven't played any early access games in a very long time. Like I think a whole year almost. I mean, I'm good. I'm, I'm weaning off. I'm, I'm getting out of this whole we pay them to beta test their crap system. 
So the next question, stepping back, why did you elect to crowdsource the funding of an Atari VCS using Indiegogo? To which Michael Arch replies, Atari is fortunate to have a thriving business and a loyal community that loves our games and is uh, passionate about the Atari brand. But would our community want a new modern console from Atari? The Indiegogo platform and campaign allowed us to answer that question by offering a proof of concept and letting us see how the market would respond. As widely reported, the first day response to the Atari VCS crowdfunding campaign in May 2018 ended up crashing the Indiegogo site. That initial response was truly incredible. Not only did we get the support of more than 11,000 individual backers, <laughs> we were able to sign major retailers and enter discussions with a host of partners. We decided to close our active Indiegogo campaign after 30 days when we hit the 3 million mark so we could focus on product development. We can't thank our community enough for the support and enthusiasm. We're incredibly excited about our progress over the past year and can't wait to share the fruits of our work. Um, yeah, I mean, also, basically, they didn't go to Kickstarter because Kickstarter, you can't just have, like, you have to have, a, like, a physical working prototype. You can't have a proof of concept. You have to have an actual physical working prototype. So they went to Indiegogo. And really, I mean, he's not wrong. They went there to see if there was any want for it. The difference is if people had donated, say, a million dollars and they hadn't gotten the huge response, they would have still gotten that million dollars. Indiegogo still gives them the money, even if the project doesn't meet its goals or anything. And so then those people might have been out even worse because three million dollars with a project like this, I mean, is almost nothing. I'm not kidding. When you're launching a hardware system, you're starting a, a, to grow a company like this and make three million dollars is nothing. They probably burned through that in a few months. So if it's not successful... That, that's why I think people were, were, were scared and worried it wouldn't come out because what if you burn through that three million so quickly and then you, it's gone, you know, then, then what? <laughs> then, and then you have no funding and then you can't finish the project, then nobody gets what they want. So, um, but anyway, like I said, th this, this was a puff piece to the 10,000th degree. Um, and that's fine. Marketing companies do it all the time. It's fine. Um, does it really change your or my opinion on the Atari VCS? It really shouldn't. If you're on the fence about getting it and you didn't really want to get it, I don't see how this makes you want to get it. Although the pictures are shiny. If you hated the thing and have no want for it, then this article is going to confirm your bias and your hatred for it. And then you're just going to not get it anyway. Uh, for me personally, I don't think this answered any of my questions that I really cared about. You know, all this really did was try to show the company in some sort of positive light as it goes into launch. And so, you know, I'd like, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it and I want to see, you know, how it all turns out. Now, I'm, I, also talking about this really quickly, what, how do you justify this being worth the price? $300, $299.99. When Black Friday sales on the PS4 with three games included were $199.99. I guess that's what my problem is with this thing is I don't see its home in the price it is. If I can, you know, I just feel like there's cheap laptops you can get to do the exact same thing. Yeah, the Atari controller might be cool. It's just USB. I can just buy one if I want, use it on my computer. So I don't know. I guess if you don't have a computer and you don't have any home consoles and this is some sort of weird hybrid and you want to have both... I just don't see it unless they're somehow able to wrangle some really exclusive content. But you've got Apple paying out the butt for exclusive content. You've got Sony and Microsoft scooping up studios for exclusive games for their platforms. There's no one left that's worth it to get for the money you have. So, like, I don't understand how they're expecting to make a dent. Now, the uh, the digital arcade thing is very cool. And, and I think that's a neat start because you're going to play off the nostalgic feelings people have. 
I really feel like this is going to be almost as bad as the Ouya, where it does exactly what they said it would do, but at the end, we realize we didn't want that, and that the general public just generally doesn't like it. All right. So next up on the podcast, yeah, we're talking about a streamer who sets the world record for playing video games for 572 hours. So this is a Kotaku article by Luke Plunkett. Last month, Cecilia ran a great feature on Andrew Giant Waffle Bodine, who was in the middle of an attempt to set a world record by streaming himself playing video games for 570 hours. Yesterday, he reached the finish line. <laughs> so Giant Waffle is his name. Uh, I'm not familiar. I'm not a big Twitch watcher, but if you know who Giant Waffle is, he just broke the world record for streaming for 572 hours. Over 30 days, Bodine completed a 19-hour stream every single day, resulting in a total of 572 hours broadcast. Previous streaming records included Jay Biggs' 569 hours, It's Armand's 566, Edison Park's 541, and Zizaran's 506.5. Some of the games Bodine played during the marathon were Red Dead Redemption 2, which is funny because I can't put you to sleep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Luigi's Mansion 3, Escape from Tarkov, Rocket League, Factorio, and Rainbow Six Siege. He also blew through the entirety of Death Stranding, taking just over 30 hours to finish it. He spent months training for the run, adjusting his circadian rhythm to let him grab the precious few hours of sleep he needed between streams to complete the 30 days. So my question first is, oh, this is really cool. He broke the world record. Was it for, let's see, was it for some amazing charity? Was he doing this to raise money for the kids? Because I did a 24-hour live stream, not 572, but I had 24 for the kids. Okay. Was it for that? Hmm. Oh, was it for that or was it for to bring awareness maybe to like to, to like a disease maybe? Donate money to kids, bring awareness to a disease. Um, to which he replies, streaming 19 hours a day isn't healthy, he told, uh, Bodine said. Quote, it's very obvious and I'm well aware of it. But when put into perspective, a lot of people trying to break records push themselves to the limit in ways that are not seen as healthy. It's not easy. It's never bent. It's never been. It's never meant to be easy. Okay. Cool. And then... It goes on to say, um, let me see here. Damn it, I, I had it and I lost it. Um, basically, he argued, okay, here we go, sorry. If you're wondering why he'd subject himself to something like this, which is not only a brutal on a personal level, but also representative of a wider problem of grind amongst streamers, Bodine says the stress is 100% worth it in my eyes. Here we go. See, here comes the, the good charitable stuff. Here we go. Viewership goes through the roof for the entirety of the month. Currently, I'm averaging four to ten times my normal statistics, such as viewer hours, unique visitors, and subscribers. Oh. <laughs> oh, so he uh, he's just doing it to get more subscribers. <laughs> he's doing it for donations. He's something like he said he got 10,000 new subscribers. Oh. I mean, I guess that's cool. I'm not saying you have to do stuff like this for charity. It's just funny that whenever you hear about a marathon streamer or something, you're like, oh, charity. Oh, he's doing this for the kids. Oh, he's doing it to bring awareness to breast cancer month or, or whatever. And then, and then, uh, no, he's just doing it because he's trying to get more money and popularity. Okay. <laughs> I guess so. I guess that's fine. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so if uh, streaming for that long, for a whole month, sleeping five hours a day, streaming for 19 hours a day, I mean, that's wild. I will. I, I, I'm not taking away from the effort, of course. You know, I'm, I'm joking that it was a, for selfish reasons. But 
he did it. And and one, I will say, streaming that much is dangerous. Um, you can take care of yourself, though. You can get up. You can move around. You can eat right. You can drink right. And you still get sleep. Five hours of sleep a night is not that bad. I mean, I, I've slept less. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of us have, too. Uh, but I've slept less. I've slept worse than that. Not so much anymore. I get my seven every night, and I'm good. But... So it, it can be dangerous, though. I mean, you hear rumors, or not rumors, but the story last year or whatever, a year and a half ago of a streamer who died because he wasn't moving around and there was like a blood clot in his legs or something. It's crazy stuff, but it's possible. So, yeah, it's, you got to be careful. But if you're smart, you'll take care of yourself. You're fine. Uh, it is an impressive feat. I don't think I could do that for 30 days. I mean, one, I don't I have to work. But if I didn't have to work and I had the 30 days, I would need like a week or two off after this to recover. But for 30 days straight to sleep for five hours, get up, stream for 19 hours every single day. Man, that's wild. I, I, I will give him. It is impressive to me. But is it smart? Eh, not really. But is it impressive? Certainly. Uh, and then I'm going to move right into this other story. Like I said, these, these later ones were kind of rapid fire. And so uh, I, I played and finished Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Very fun game. You should play it. Uh, the combat... Um, you know, there's there's some game mechanics that resemble a Souls game, like the meditation points and the respawning enemies. Combat's a little sloppy, though. Uh, I liked it overall. I say it was an 8 out of 10. I think the story is pretty good. But speaking of the story, so I had already finished it, but I'm watching football on Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving Day. And I'll, I see a commercial for it. I'm like, oh, it's a good game. It's a cool game. And again, I won't spoil it here, so don't worry about it. But at the end of the commercial, they have a cameo of a specific character pops up on screen. And you're like, what the hell? Because that literally happens in the last five to ten minutes of the game. And it's a really cool moment when it's revealed to you. So this commercial on Thanksgiving just spoiled it. <laughs> One of the coolest parts. Now, the spoil the spoiler might help it sell copies. Eek, but man, it's a spoiler nonetheless. So just be aware if you're watching... NFL games. I think it was on Fox. If they're watch out for the commercials if you don't want the game spoiled for you. Don't don't be watching football on Thanksgiving. You can't even watch football on Thanksgiving anymore without spoilers of video games. Jesus. You stay off Twitter all day. And then you're watching football. You're watching the the worst game of all time with the Lions versus the Bears. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, hey y'all. Here's a spoiler for the favorite game that you know you were just waiting to play till after Thanksgiving break. <laughs> um so next up, uh, I want to talk about this follow-up to the story I did about Quantic. So uh, just a quick recap. Quantic is a French studio. They made games like um, Fahrenheit, which for us was Indigo Prophecy. They made Heavy Rain. They did Omicron. They did Beyond Two Souls. They did recently Detroit Become Human. And they're known for their cinematic gameplay, pretty cutting-edge stuff, their mocap and everything. Can't take anything away from them on that side. But about almost two years ago, I did a story about how they were being sued. And a lot of this is weird because you have to understand that French courts are very different from ours and they don't work all the same. But uh, they were sued by four IT guys that were leaving the company. And they left the company because apparently the IT guys found on this server just pockets and pockets of really nasty pictures. And it was pictures of like people people who worked their faces photoshopped onto really obese people's bodies or um, pictures of employees that work there put their faces superimposed onto actors in a gay porno or something, you know? And so 
that <laughs> that was all there. Uh, and, and then I did a story about it. And it was actually, you know, uh, and then and then there was a story about one of the guys, uh, Guillemot du Fontier. I, th- I forget his name. I was trying to remember. It. Basically, uh, you know, harassing a woman that worked there. A whole bunch of bad stuff came out. And these guys sued them over the pictures and saying it was damaging. Well, three of the cases got tossed out. And after I did the story, I was someone sent me an email or a message through YouTube. I forget. And he said that he was working at Quantic and that he's currently on a break, basically had to take like a mental health break because of the mental issues that he suffered. And that he was one of the people that saw these things with his own eyes. And I thought it was a total, I thought it was BS. I was like, I'm, I'm a nobody and somebody's going to see that I'm a nobody and think I'm, I'm willing to reach and, and whatever. So they're like, Oh, could we, uh, could we chat on WhatsApp? And I'm like, sure. So we're chatting on WhatsApp. And then all of a sudden he's like, well, I'd really like to talk in person. Could we talk like, you know, on, on Skype, I think it was, or, or whatever, or, or no, he called me through WhatsApp. And that's what I was like. Oh God, here we go. Like as soon as I pick up the phone, the guy's just going to go make a bunch of grunting noises, and then hang up on me. I don't know. I don't know. This was a long concept. That's what I thought. And ends up, you know, he introduced himself. I introduced myself and we talked for like two hours, might've been three hours. And, I recorded the whole thing. I still have it, actually. Incredible audio. Uh, but some of it I don't even know if I can talk about, to be totally honest. I don't know what's libel, what's real, what's not. There were things going on in court. So I'm like, I don't know what's happening. In this, but I, I shouldn't be touching this because I'm not a reporter. I'm not going to do diligence and I'm not going to contact people at the studio and, and break the story. I'm just a commentator on the story. So I don't want to be the one discovering all this stuff. So anywho... Oh, <laughs> so anyway, um, I, you know, I do the whole interview. I talk to him and it's an incredible story. He talks about things like not only his, he talk about all these pictures, which you can see some of them. If you look them up, like the, there's a, a, a French publication called Le Monde, L E M O N D E. They publish some of the pictures. There's some wild stuff. Like it's, it's, it's not funny, but it's like, guys locker room stuff you know so it it can be funny but most of it's pretty inappropriate especially for a workplace i think that's what i said in the video was you know you're you're a public or you're a private student you can do whatever you want but you have to understand that your actions always have consequences and 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 whatever so um but so then you know i did that story i talked to him i ended up not doing anything with that information i just i don't know what i could have done with it and i tried passing it along to a few others i i tweeted i dm'd a few people on twitter that are like, you know, actual journalists that could look into it. Nobody wanted to touch it. And I, I didn't get anyone serious to, to, you know, to, to take, to take it seriously. So I, um, I couldn't do anything about it. And so that was kind of where I left it. And that was almost two years ago. I want to say it was two years in February. I think it'll be after that though. Um, this story came up just today. I saw this. And so the, uh, it was translated. Why is it not translated anymore? <laughs> it was translated. Okay. So the headline, the Quantic Dream video game studio condemned to the Prudhomes for photo montages. So again, this is translated from French. So bear with me if the English isn't perfect. Um, the Quantic Dream video game studio, the French flagship of the sector, was sentenced on 21st of November by the Industrial Tribunal of Paris to pay 5,000 euros to employee victim of a photo montage presenting him performing a Nazi salute. The studio remained passive in front of photo montages, homophobic, misogynistic, racist, and deeply vulgar. Judge the board during the tiebreaker hearing. Yeah, they have tiebreakers. 
<laughs> he condemned the management's inaction, which allowed them to circulate for years knowing their content. By remaining passive in the face of this more than questionable practice, which cannot be justified by the quote-unquote humorous spirit prevailing in society. The employer has committed a breach of the obligation of security, they said. On the other hand, the labor courts did not follow the plaintiff's request that his departure, based on the impossibility of continuing his work, be considered a dismissal. It found, amongst other things, that the company had stopped the broadcast of these montages as soon as it, com as soon as it was complained, its main author having received a warning. So... What they're trying to say there was basically this person made a complaint and then he claims that he left the company because of all this and that he was owed more money. The judges unfortunately said, well, they warned the person not to do it anymore when you complained and they took care of it. So they fixed the problem and you shouldn't have had to worry about feeling like you had to leave. Um, now, this is uh, the studio, the representative for the studio. I'm assuming it's the lawyer, but the representative for the studio. Joined by Lamont, the studio says it will not appeal and is pleased that the court found that the employee had, quote, not demonstrated the deterioration of working conditions in the company or still a major and reoccurring conflict. And, quote, the production of press articles is not sufficient to establish these facts. Quantic Dream adds that the judgment satisfies them since, quote, since it dismisses the plaintiff from his main claims, as was the case in three previous related judgments, end quote. And then they go on to remind us that on March 6, 2017, it was two years ago, almost two, almost three years ago, four employees of the IT department had left the company by act, a breach of employment contract by an employee for facts he blames the employer because of these photo montages. Two of them were dismissed on November 20th, 2017 from their request for requalifications of their dismissal, the court having ruled that their breach of contract was too late to prove the seriousness of the damage. On August 22nd, 2018, a third was successful in the same motion. The court having this time found the management had knowingly prosper the montages. I think what they mean by that translation is that they knew that they knowingly distributed it is basically it. Um, the Parisian video game studio was the subject of a survey of world of media port and canard PC in January, 2018, bringing to light a toxic atmosphere and oppressive management. The company filed a defamation suit against Lamond and media part, which I don't know whatever happened with that lawsuit, but that's it. So that's a follow-up to a story I did years ago. That's kind of a neat follow-up, but I mean, he only got 5,000 Euro, <clears throat> um, which is like 5,500 bucks. So really that was probably for any time he missed up to a certain point. And so it's unfortunate, like, you know, but that's what the courts do. The courts rule and they decide who's in the right and who's in the wrong. Now, I love that at the end, though, whoever represented Quantic is trying to say, see, we're right. We were right. We did nothing wrong. That's clearly not the case. They're a very unprofessional, irresponsible studio that allowed this sort of thing to happen and should have shut it down pretty quick. But, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It, the fact that a company has those sort of things going on, you know, it, it just doesn't help the image that they're trying to fix in the game design community, which is that it's a boys club run by immature man babies, <laughs> which, which apparently it is still. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, and then lastly, we're going to continue on to riot games. will pay $10 million to settle a gender discrimination suit. The story by Sam Dean uh, and the LA times. Riot Games agreed to pay out at least $10 million to women who worked at the company in the last five years as part of a settlement in a class action lawsuit over alleged gender discrimination, according to court documents filed Monday. The suit began in November 2018 when two women who had had worked at the Los Angeles studio, which makes the popular League of Legends games and is owned by Chinese tech company Tencent, 
alleging that they were routinely subjected to sexual harassment and gender discrimination. The newly filed documents reveal the details of the settlement, which was announced in August for the first time. The approximately 1,000 women who worked at Riot Games from November 2014 until the date the settlement is finalized will be entitled to a payment from the multi-million dollar pot. The final dollar amount that reach employees who self-identify as female receive will vary depending on how long they worked for Riot, with full employees receiving more than contractors. Asked about the settlement, a Riot spokesperson said in a statement, We're pleased to have a proposed settlement to fully resolve the class action lawsuit. The settlement is another important step forward and demonstrates our commitment to living up to our values and to making Riot an inclusive environment for the industry's best talent. Good corporate speak there, and this person's on board with it. The company is approximately 2,500 employees at offices around the world and brought in an estimated $1.4 billion in revenue in 2018. So they have to pay out $10 million to approximately a thousand women. So here we go. We're pulling out the old calculator. Maybe. <laughs> the app opens. So we got 10, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3 million divided by 1,000 would be roughly $10,000 per person. Now, if you worked there for six years, <laughs> they're giving you $1,500. If you were there for five years, they're giving you $2,000 for every year you work there for being discriminated against for five years. That's terrible, man. That This is a really low payout. And here's the real kicker, though. The real kicker is they don't get the $10 million. The $10 million is first going to be just destroyed by the lawyers. <laughs> and then after the lawyers get their huge chunk, whatever's left goes to them. It's pretty sad, actually. And I don't know where they came up with that $10 million settlement, but I'm glad it's something. It's more, I think, about the point of them getting busted for it, and now we can move on, and they can they can be under the microscope now because if this sort of thing happens again, they're going to get hit even harder. And so it's good from that standpoint. Not good from a monetary standpoint, but good from the fact that at least they put their foot down and tried to stop it. You know, um, The lawsuit was filed in the wake of a dramatic series of exposés beginning with an article from the game's website, Kotaku, in which current and former employees described a workplace rife with sexist behavior. The suit laid out allegations that Riot fostered a men-first, quote-unquote, bro culture, where harassment and inappropriate behavior such as crotch-grabbing, phantom-humping, and sending unsolicited and unwelcome pictures of male genitalia, and managers circulating a hot girls list ranking female employees by attractiveness went unchecked. So yes, first of all, a hot girl list, that's ridiculous. Um... Sending unsolicited and unwelcome pictures of male genitalia, um, yes, 100%. Uh, unacceptable. Crotch grabbing, uh, like guys grabbing other guys' crotches? I mean, otherwise, that's assault, you know? Phantom humping. I uh, <laughs> tried to picture what the hell phantom humping is. <laughs> so, is that when, like, so say I'm working with Dave and he drops a a bag of batteries so he bends over to pick it up and i'm just standing behind him going and i'm doing the humping motions by the way is that phantom humping what the <laughs> it's it's not funny from the harassment side of it it's just funny that this article wrote phantom humping because when you think of phantom you think of the phantom menace the hidden menace the phantom pain, right? Like when you have phantom pain in a limb, in someone who's lost a limb, they sometimes still feel pain in the limb that's not there anymore. That's phantom pain. And also the worst Metal Gear game ever made. Uh, and 
that's not true. But the worst story in a Metal Gear game ever made. That was officially canon. Uh, and so the idea of phantom humping would be like humping that's not there. <laughs> so it's not real. I, obviously, it's not real humping. <laughs> but why, you know, humping? <laughs> it's it's kind of made my day. Um, but anyway, so good on uh, them for winning the lawsuit. It's not a lot, unfortunately. Whenever you have a class action lawsuit, it's always not a big payout. Like, whenever there's a class action lawsuit, the lawyers get rich and the consumers, or in this case, the employees get very little. Um, but I hope that part of what they get that is good for them is the satisfaction of knowing that they attacked a company this big and they won. They took on a giant and they won. Not that that's always as satisfying, but I, I hope it is for them. You know, it'd, it'd be nice for them to feel satisfaction from that. All right. Ooh, boy. Ooh, Shenny. That was, a, that was a pretty good podcast. That was pretty good. So I've got my game of the week picked out. I've got my pickup pile of the week. And then we're going to roll out of here, folks, and we'll talk to you next week. And I'm very excited to announce, if you didn't see it yet, you might if you, well, you would have seen it if you've seen this on the podcast, but I put up episode zero of Metal Gear Salad. That's the Metal Gear podcast that Josh from Suggestive Gaming and I are doing. Very excited about that because... It's really fun. The first episode is done. I'm just waiting to upload it. I'll probably upload it on Thursday or, or schedule it for Thursday. So that'll be ready to go. Uh, we recorded the first episode, edited the hell out of it. I'm pretty proud of it. The one thing about it that was a little tough was the first Metal Gear does not have a lot of story. Okay, I probably could have recapped the story in one or two minutes. But hell no, baby. We made an hour and a half podcast out of it. <laughs> so buckle in if you need another hour and a half of old Greggy here because you're going to get it. Um, now, that won't be a weekly podcast. In fact, we haven't even recorded episode two yet, so I don't know the schedule that that'll be on yet, but that'll be one of those periodic things. In a perfect world, I'd love to do it every two weeks, but it'll probably be every... It'll just be every now and then, I think, for now. But I'm going to, after I get the first one up, I'm going to find a time to record the second one. And you never know. I mean, sometimes I'm just sitting there. and The, the problem with it is I, I, I edit the whole thing. And when you edit the whole thing, you have to listen to the whole thing. So if we do an hour and a half podcast... I have to listen to it for an hour and a half. So the editing process takes at least two hours. And so it took me on Sunday almost the whole day because I was picking up bumper music. I was doing some other stuff. And so like that all kind of wrapped together. But it, so that that episode zero is just an introduction to myself and to Josh and to talk a little bit about Metal Gear, why we love Metal Gear so much, a few of the quirks of the series, what we want to be talking about. So check it out. It's only like 20 minutes. It's just a little like a warm up to the series. And then episode one should be Thursday unless something crazy happens. I'm actually going to upload it later today i might drop it on the youtube channel first so you can check it out there early but it will for sure be up on thursday unless something crazy happens so with that being said uh, we have our game of the week and this one we're continuing with our ps1 theme for a while and this is a game that i'm just going to assume all of you have heard of and know this is crash bandicoot for the ps1 crash bandicoot is way more iconic than I think a lot of people realize and way more trend-setting than a lot of people realize. On the surface, it's like a platformer. You know, you run towards the screen, which was different at the time. You know, in, in a time of side-scrollers and Mario and you can only go left to right and this is how the world has to be, Naughty Dog with Crash Bandicoot said, no, you're going to run towards or you're going to run away from the screen and sometimes you're going to run towards it. And sometimes you're going to run sideways a little bit. For the most part, that was the view. They completely changed up how we thought about platformers. And arguably, this led to some of the earlier 3D platformers, and, which would eventually give you full 3D running around. But Crash Bandicoot, Naughty Dog has 
committed to excellence since its inception and this game is no different from that the music's outstanding the sound effects are great it's quirky it's funny like the character okay it's a ps1 character this crappy polygonal bandicoot and yet can still convey amazing emotion like happy sad like like you you feel like it's it's animated like a disney movie almost like that's how good the animations are and yes, you collect things, you know, you go through a level and you you break boxes, you collect whatever the fruit is in the game, I forget. You it's like Indiana Jones where you run from boulders and you jump over pits and you swing on you, know, you swing on ropes and you, you you bounce off of boxes and there's hidden boxes and at the end of the level it tells you how many boxes you missed. It's just it's just really good. Like it was the epitome of a collect all, a collectathon, but with a unique spin in how you approach the level as going away from the player. Being in third person, being going away from the player as opposed to this left to right that we were accustomed to. And just an incredible game, you know, and it was it was fun, quirky, it was super, super awesome. And then obviously after this, uh, they went on to do, you know, many, many other great games that really showed off what they could do. Jack and Daxter and then eventually leading into Uncharted and then Last of Us and so on and so forth. But a, a studio that has never not been impressive and has always held on to a certain standard, just incredible games. So if you've never played it, they did recently remaster it for the PS4 and the Xbox one and switch. It's a very good version of the game. It's cleaned up, but there is some charm, I think to the original and playing it with an original PS one controller using the D pad, not using an analog stick. These little things to me all, all kind of add up to the experience. So I, I highly recommend it. Check it out. Crash Bandicoot for the PS one. Go get it. So the um, the pickup pile of the week is pretty small this week. I gotta say, like for for a Greggy week, this is pretty small, you know. But first up, it's all PS4 as well. Well, PS4 and then three books, but the PS4 game. So first, I picked up the game of the Yora edition of Near Automata. So I played the original version of Near. I never finished it. I always wanted to. I want to go back to it. I'll have to start it over because I don't think I'd understand where I even was or what mission I was on. So I have to do that. But this is the one with all the DLC on it, so of course I want to restart them and restart with all the extra content. So I picked up that copy, Black Friday sale, I think it was 15 bucks. couldn't pass it up. I picked up the Nino Kuni remaster for PS4. Now, funny story about this game, they also released Nino Kuni on the Switch. Nino Kuni on the Switch is a port of the PS3 version. Nino Kuni remaster on the PS4 is actually a remastered version. So if you want to play the best version of Nino Kuni remaster, you want to get it on PS4. Uh, and then lastly, I picked up, I got this from uh, Special Reserve Games. It's kind of like Limited Run. Uh, and they do these really awesome collector's boxes, I have to say, and I hope they keep up with this pattern. But it's a game called Downwell, and uh, I've never played it. I actually don't know much about it, but give me pixel graphics and an indie game and a really cool box, and I'm a sucker and I'm going to buy it. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> and then lastly, these came through the store, and these are fantastic. So I got three of these books called Super Strategies for Nintendo, or one's called, sorry, Strategies for Nintendo Games, Super Strategies for Nintendo, and winning tips for Nintendo. This was all brought to us by the editors of Consumer Guide. And so they're like a little magazine, like a Nintendo Power, but even thinner than that. Full color, glossy pages, and it was basically just a collection on how to beat certain things in the games. But what's wild is a lot of times it's like it's like one page. <laughs> you know, like how do you how do you describe how to beat this game in, in one page? Um, like one of them here, like Double Dragon. Let me find Double Dragon 3. Because Double Dragon 3 is a game I've beaten many times. And so it's kind of one of, I'm flipping through this. Oh, Gremlins 2, I just beat that too. Um, okay, Double Dragon 3. It's literally two pages. Um, let's see here. Super strategy for this last boss. A special move allows your fighters to gang up on an enemy. Press A and B buttons to jump, kick, and fly into the arms of your partner. You bounce with extra height and power and can knock down anyone in your path. So what this is saying is, 
if you have Billy and Jimmy, just jump into the other one's arms and he'll throw you back as a jump kick. Uh, this this is it looks like they're just boss fights. I, man, this is just terrible. <laughs> so this is funny. Okay, so the very beginning of Double Dragon Three, you're in the dojo. You fight like six enemies and then you talk to the Brett who dies, and then you're supposed to leave the dojo. Here's the super strategy. Okay, you ready for this? After you defeat the first set of villains, stay inside the dojo and practice your moves. <laughs> what an absolute terrible strategy. <laughs> um, so yeah, so anyway though, when I was a kid, I had the red one. It's strategies for Nintendo games. And I, I remembered it because I saw the cover and I instantly was like, I, it, it just came back to me. You know how that is sometimes. Like you didn't even know you forgot it until you see it again. And I saw the cover and I started flipping through and I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And and it is amazing. Uh, most amazing, which is what I shared. They even have Metal Gear in here. It's great. Which I shared on Twitter was, and I know you can't see this on the podcast, but in the bottom corner, there's a picture. This is all hand-drawn art on the front. There's like a green alien. There's a bald kung fu guy. There's a baseball player, a couple of carrots, an onion, big bird on a spaceship or something. And then in the bottom left corner, there is the saddest sack of Link I've ever seen. <laughs> so go to my Twitter at GameTradeGreg. I put the picture up. It's ridiculous, like, how sad this Link is. The dude has some serious existential dread going on in that picture. But it's cool, man. They're color picture books, and these are things I used to have. So it was cool to see them come through the store, and they're not really expensive or worth a whole lot. So I bought them. I think this is awesome. And what I remember is that we bought this one because it had Castlevania Two in it. And Castlevania Two, if you remember, has that ridiculous ridiculous part where you have to kneel with the red crystal which just made me think i wonder if they mentioned that in here um let's see uh let's see <laughs> arm yourself with lots of garlic and blue crystals there's only one blue crystal in the game man this book sucks ass i got ripped off by this book when i was a kid now i'm pissed <laughs> just kidding <laughs> Um, but that's all I had for the pickup pile, those three mags and those three games. So as always, thank you everybody for listening and watching. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. I survived Black Friday. We're going through the holiday season now. It's going to be very exciting times. Very, very curious to see where we go this year ending and then going into a new, you know, going into a new decade, I guess, 2020, right? Which now we're getting to the point where 2020 is basically, I don't know, all the futuristic movies from the 70s and 80s thought that the world would be a dump in 2020. So here, here we begin our descend into dumpedness. But as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Game Trade Greg. You can subscribe to us on YouTube at youtube.com slash drop rate. You can follow us and subscribe on Twitch at twitch.tv slash the drop rate. And of course, uh, you can listen to this on Spotify if you'd like. We are on Spotify now, iTunes, podcast app, and of course on SoundCloud. So, uh, And I'm working on getting it everywhere else too. So thank you as always though for listening and watching this. Always been a blast. Love doing this. Love chatting with y'all. Take care. Have a good day. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.